The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. You know, one thing we know is that we all like to be in front. We all like to be in the lead. None of us like to follow. It's kind of who we are. It's in our DNA. It comes out in our driving in particular. Nobody wants to be stuck following somebody slower than them, right? And if you're like me, everyone's slower than you when you're out on the road. You know, you're on the highway and somebody starts coming up to pass you and there's just something inside of you that makes that accelerator go down because you don't want to follow anybody. You're afraid to get caught or stuck behind somebody slow. One of my all-time favorite athletes, Dale Earnhardt Sr., is uh, uh, credited with the quote, second place is just the first loser. Tiger Woods and uh, the fictional Ricky Bobby also had uh, similar versions of that quote that they made popular uh, years later as well. And uh, it just boils down to this idea that we don't like to follow. We want to be the one out front. We want to be leading. So much so, psychologists have studied uh, Olympic medal winners and discovered that the silver medal winner is actually tends to be very depressed and, and miserable in compared to the gold and the bronze winner. And the reason is this, because they say it came so close to being the leader, to being out front, and yet fell short. Like the, the bronze medal winner apparently is just happy they, they didn't end up fourth, right? Uh, so, uh, but they, they came so close, and so the silver medalist sometimes is often unhappy, and you see on, on TV sometimes the looks on their face with the silver medal and the disappointment for many of them because everyone wants to be the leader. No one wants to follow. In 2009, there was a movie uh, called Invictus, and it was named after a poem by uh, William Henley that he wrote in 1890 with the same title. And it represented events around South Africa's World Cup rugby final match against New Zealand in 1995. Nelson Mandela, the great South African leader, uh, met with the captain of the rugby team, Francois Pinar. And uh, he gave him in the movie a copy of the poem, of the poem Invictus. And the end of Invictus kind of sums up our culture. It kind of sums up the way that we think we should approach life in the last two lines where it says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And this refrain provides not only the rugby team with inspiration, but in the approximate 130 years since it was penned, it has been, become a common refrain to describe people's mantra, almost doctrine, of living in our culture. Uh, it becomes a guiding principle, this notion that we are the master of our own fate, that we are in charge. Frank Sinatra popularized that ideal when he belted out, I did it my way, right? And there's nothing we celebrate in our culture more than being a success and doing it your own way. But is that what God intended for you and I? Did he truly intend us to be the master of our own fate? Is that what he created us for? Today, to wrap up First to Fail, we're going to look back into the book of Acts one more time this, this week, and we're going to look at the story in Acts chapter 8 
uh, of a man named Philip, one of the early church leaders. To kind of set the stage here for what's going on, you have to understand uh, the place. Philip was one of seven men that the disciples had named as servant leaders to kind of take on all the menial ministry tasks that they no longer had time to do themselves. And another one of those men was named Stephen. And in chapter 7, Stephen had become the very first martyr of Christianity, being executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. Well, in the wake of Stephen's death, a man named Saul was going around, rounding up Christians, bringing them before uh, the courts, having them sentenced to death and executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, the church was now scattering out of Jerusalem across the world. They were finding other places to go. They had to get away for their own safety. Philip, as one of the church leaders then at this point, as, as one of the servant leaders, he, he found his way to Samaria. And, the, and chapter 8 records uh, how Philip uh, found great success by stepping up to lead the way in Samaria. And, and as he led the way, great things were happening in the church in Samaria. In fact, Philip's ministry at this point becomes the most prominent and successful ministry in the entire Christian ministry in the entire world. As he sees great things, miracles are happening. Uh, chapter 8 records that when, when Philip preached, great joy came to the entire city. The church was thriving in Samaria under Philip's leadership. He was leading the way. Now, Philip was then faced with this temptation, this temptation that says, if what I'm doing is good, that this is, what, this is where God wants me. For now and forever, I don't have to listen. We listen to the voice of God, and it's a temptation we all face. This temptation that the good I'm doing, God must be in this forever. And we stop listening to the voice of God because we feel like where we're at is really is a good thing. What we're doing is good. And after all, we're supposed to be the master of our own fate. And if I want to stay here, if I want to enjoy the success that I'm feeling, if I want to enjoy where I am at, that's my decision. And Philip was faced with this temptation. Surely God would never ask him to go anywhere else. Well, Acts 8.26, we're going to read there, and it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there's the moment. The moment that God called Philip away from his success. The moment that God called Philip away from his comfort zone and away from where all of his human sensibilities said he should stay. Because God was not, and you got to picture this, he's having all this success. God isn't even sending him to another city. He's not saying, okay, you've had great success in Samaria. Now, Philip, I want you to go over here and do the same thing. Oh, that would make perfect sense, right? No, God is sending him out into the middle of the desert. And this is not something where he can just, you know, hop into his vehicle, drive out there in the middle of the day, and be home by dark. Okay, we're, we're talking 2,000 years ago. And God is saying, I'm sending you away from your success, away from your comfort zone, and into the middle of the desert. Philip, in that moment, was left to decide, was he willing to stop leading, to stop being the master 
of his own fate in order to follow. And this morning, could it be that like Philip, God is not calling you and I to be the first to lead, to be the first to be the captain of our own soul? Could it be that God is calling us instead to stop leading and to become the first to follow? And that's today's big idea. Be the first to follow. And the principle is this. If you're leading the way, you are limiting God by yourself. The best that can happen if you're the one setting the agenda, if you're the one leading the way, is limited by who you are. It's limited by your talents, successes. It's also limited by your flaws and your mistakes. And some of us, like me, have more flaws than others of you. Okay? We are flawed people. And so we limit God. But when we are willing to give up the lead and follow instead, follow God, we can erase the limits on what God can do. You see, it's impossible for man to follow God's way and their own way at the same time. Eventually, our sensibilities, our thought patterns, our decisions versus God's will divert and our pathways will go in another direction. And those moments where we make decisions to go in a direction opposite of what God desires for our life, that's what the Bible refers to as sin. And that pathway to sin leads not to life and freedom as God's does, but it leads to ruin, death, and eternal judgment. But God looked down on us and saw our plight, saw we were on this pathway away from him, on a one-way street leading away from God's direction for our life. And he loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live for us, to die for us, and to set a new pathway back to God, a pathway that brought us back to forgiveness and grace and mercy and eternal life. Jesus came to rescue you and I from sin. He gave his life to pay our debts, to absorb our eternal judgment, and to give us new life through faith in him when we're willing to give up being the master of our own faith to follow him. And Jesus invites people to follow him. It changes both the immediate circumstances of our life and our futures as well because it changes the direction we are headed in life. Today, Jesus is inviting us once again to follow him, to stay on his pathway or to become, to get onto his pathway, whatever it is in your life. So how does this work? How do we follow Jesus? What does it look like? How do we do this? Well, it starts like this. If you want to be the first to follow, you have to know who you're following. You have to make a decision. You have to know what you're getting into, know who you're following, and make the decision to get up and actually follow. 
And we're not talking about blind following. Many people follow a cause or protest, but we've seen the videos on Facebook or on TV uh, or even sometimes on the late night shows where they go to some protest or some rally and and they start asking people why they're there, what what they're there to support. And, And what you find, and we get a laugh out of it because the people that they're interviewing can't even articulate at the very simplest what it is that what the cause is that they're even there for. I remember a time uh, I was uh, 14. My family had an opportunity to go to Athens, Greece, and we went on, and I I remember staying in a hotel, and myself and my brother, a couple other teenagers, were out on on the balcony of the hotel, and and down below on one of the main streets in Athens, Greece, there was this, uh, some kind of a rally, celebration, I'm not sure exactly what. You could tell it was probably political in nature. It was a, we, we happened to be there around an election time, and I'm not sure if they were celebrating a victory or trying to rally people to vote for something. I'm not sure, but there was music blaring, and people are cheering, and it seemed to be a party going on, and, and we're up there on the balcony kind of you know enjoying the whole thing and, and, and kind of enjoying being a part of that whole atmosphere up until until we started seeing some of the cars in the parade go by with the party's flag on it. And, uh, you know, 1984, we were in the height of the Cold War, and we suddenly realized uh, that, that we were celebrating the Communist Party and, uh, in, in Athens, Greece. And, I mean, I didn't know what they were saying. It was all Greek to me. You guys are nice to me. I can't believe you laughed at that. Thank you so much. You just made my day. Uh, <laughs> that's a terrible joke. Anyway, uh, but what I did, you know, we wanted to be a part of what was happening, but we didn't know what we were following. And uh, at that point, for those of you who are too young to know, uh, in 1984, our relationships with communism uh, was far, far worse than it is today. And uh, it, was, it was like the end of the universe to us Americans, and, and we felt like we had just betrayed our country by even gazing on that uh, celebration down below. Um, and you know what? That happens so often in our culture with Jesus. 67% of Americans say that they believe in Jesus. Even more, 80% say that they pray to Jesus. But somewhere, clearly, there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we choose to live our lives. Our culture believes in Jesus, but do they follow him, really follow him? Clearly, not like the way we follow our sports teams. You know, I follow the New York Giants, right? I'm a follower of the New York Giants, but you know how it is when you follow a sports team. When they win, it's like, we won, yeah, we did it, we made it, we, made, we won the Super Bowl, except we didn't do anything. And when they lose, though, that becomes clear. Those bums, they blew it. It's never we blew it, right? It's never we lost the game. It's they lost the game, right? That's how we cheer. That's how we, quote, follow our football teams. But we're not talking, and that's too often how people follow Jesus. They take the good parts and throw away the rest. They don't want to be part of uh, of the rest of it. Following is not about 
just saying we believe. It's about what, whose footsteps we walk in, who we model our choices after, and who guides our decision-making process in life. Back to Invictus. Invictus was the name of the movie, but it actually was a complete misrepresentation of what happened because Nelson Mandela never gave Francois Pignard a copy of Invictus. In fact, that wasn't the message he was trying to send at all. Instead, what he gave him was a copy of Teddy Roosevelt's uh, speech, a part of Teddy Roosevelt's speech in France in 1910, uh, a passage that has come to be known as the man in the arena. And it's a passage all of you know quite well, or at least you've heard at least once in your life. How do I know this? Because it was the voice that, it was the quote that Spencer Jackson was voicing over the video that opened this message. See, South Africa was a war-torn country from civil unrest, decades and centuries of, of brutal fighting between races and racial oppression in South Africa, and they were trying to heal at that point. And Nelson Mandela, who had spent years falsely in prison, basically for the color of his skin, he, uh, he went to Francois Pignard, and his, his, what he was trying to do was not to convince him that he had to lead the way, that he had to stand out on his own. He was trying to do just the opposite. He was trying to tell him that, that he could be part of something greater than himself. If they were all willing to become part of something more important, it could help heal their land. And the idea here was, uh, he said, it, you know, that the credit belongs to those who get out into the arena that are part of the solution, who are willing to be part of it. And, and, and we are challenged today by Jesus to do the same thing. Instead of exhorting the captain to be in charge of his own face, Mandela's purpose was to inspire him, to give himself completely towards something greater than his own life. When we are the leader, we limit the greatness of God. But when God is the leader and we follow, there is no limits. And God is encouraging us today to get up and to get in the arena, not to cheer on Jesus like he's some football team, but to follow him, to follow his lead. James chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 says this, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What James is saying is there is a difference between what you believe and your faith. You say what you believe, but you live out your faith by what you do. And he's saying, you know, your faith you're voicing your faith without action behind it means nothing. Instead, I may tell you what I believe, but what I really want you to watch is how I live my life, is who I follow, the footsteps that I follow in. And can I tell you that James overcame probably more barriers to being able to set aside being the captain of his own fate and become a follower of Jesus Christ than any other person that ever walked the face of the earth. You may think that sounds strange, but biblical scholars believe that the author of the book of James was not James the greater, nor James the less, the two disciples of Jesus Christ named James, but instead, he is actually the son of Mary and Joseph. That's right, Jesus' little brother. Can you imagine? Now look, now that you've heard that, 
There is none of you that can complain about your sibling being the golden child, right? (laughs) Put yourself in James' shoes. He had to grow up with Jesus. But somewhere along the line, he recognized that his older brother was not like any other person, that he was truly the son of God. And he made a decision to set aside his, his being the master of his own fate, the captain of his own soul, to follow in big brother's footsteps, to simply respond and follow and obey the leadership of his big brother. Nobody wants to obey their big brother. I sure don't. And if my brother ever listens to this, he should know that. I would never want to obey him. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of natural. You have an older brother, you understand. But see, if we are following, then our decisions and directions in life will display our obedience to Jesus Christ. Our challenge to live like we not only believe in Jesus, but to follow and obey as well. And that's the next step. We need to know who we're following. We need to make the decision that we're going to allow Jesus to affect how we live our life and then to be the first to follow. It's simple, one word, obey. For you Marylanders, it's not old bay, obey, okay? (laughs) Obey. I always feel like it's saying that, I get that mixed up. And God is calling us to be first-time listeners in our obedience. Here's the idea. Here's what a first-time listener... So you, if you're a parent, you definitely will understand what I'm saying here. Uh, because if you've ever, as a parent, asked your child to do something, and you come back later, and it's not done, and they have what in their mind is a good excuse why they didn't do it. And you're like, that's all well and good, but I needed you to do this. Like, I don't care what you were doing over here. You didn't obey. The garbage truck is gone, and the garbage is still in the garage. I needed you to get the garbage out. I did not need you to do this over here. First-time listener, are we willing to set aside what we think we should be doing in order to simply obey what God is speaking to our life? So what was Philip's response to God, to God's command to leave his comfort place, to leave the place where all his human sensibilities said he should be to go out into the desert? Well, we're going to look back now. We're going to pick Act up. I'm going to reread Acts 26, and then we're going to read on in that story. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. What was Philip's immediate response When God, was he a first-time listener? Yes, he was. His immediate response was he started out. He obeyed. It made no sense to him, but he didn't care. It was the voice of God, and he was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he obeyed. He got up and went out. That first step can often be the hardest one. 
But if we want to be the first to follow, we have to be first-time listeners. We have to make sure that we are saying yes to the right things, to God and his directions in our life, and saying no to our own desires, our own agendas, our own interests, and being the master of our own faith and direction in life. You see, delayed obedience is still a decision to disobey. Inaction is still an action. Indecision is still a decision. You're deciding not to act on God's command or what God is speaking into your life. You see, if we wait until we're completely ready, until in our minds everything makes sense that God says to us, that time will never come. The intoxication of being the master of your own fate, of being in control of your own soul and your own destiny, it will make sure that you never act on God's voice. But when we make the decision to follow and obey instead of setting our own path, again, we release the limits to what God is able to do. Let's take a look at the results of Philip's decision to be the first to follow and the first to obey. We're gonna read Acts chapter eight, verse 35 through 38 as this story of Philip wraps up. And here's what it says. Then Philip began with the very pas- that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. But I'm glad to say that this story did not end 2,000 years ago with the baptism of that eunuch. It wasn't just about one man coming to know Jesus Christ. You see, the second century a biblical historian, Irenaeus, wrote about this eunuch, how he chose to go back to his home country in Ethiopia and be a missionary of the gospel and to establish the Christian church in Ethiopia. And today, there is a 2,000-year tradition and string of Christianity in Ethiopia that is unique to the continent of Africa. That is 2,000 years of Jesus followers that can be traced back directly to Philip's one moment of choosing to obey God when he asked him to do something that made no sense in his own sensibilities. What could our act of obedience to God mean to the history of our community? What could your act of obedience, your decision, to be the first to follow, the first to obey? What if all of us in here right now decide together that we are going to, each one of us, be the first to follow and the first to obey? How might the history of our communities be changed? You see, you may think you have nothing to offer God. Guess what? You're right. Neither did Philip. Philip realized that his preaching ability His ministry, that was not him. It was all God. He realized he had nothing to offer God but his obedience. You and I, 
That's all we have to offer God. It's God who gets to write the story. It's God who is the hero of the story that is being written. We are honored simply that God would choose to write us into his story in whatever way he would choose to. It's easy to get into this idea that we're comfortable, that we're doing something for God, and we're comfortable with how we are serving him. And we stop listening to the voice of God because we actually, sometimes in our humanity, we don't even want to be moved from where we are at. We kind of enjoy our comfort zone and our comfort area. And so this morning, God is speaking to us to be a Jesus follower, to be the first to follow and the first to obey. We're going to take a moment and pray in just a minute. And when we do, first, if you have never made the decision to be a Jesus follower, here's, what I, here, here's your moment. It's your moment to just let God know, God, I am ready to follow you. You can say it however you want to. When we, when we stop to pray, you can, you can pray however you want to in your own words. God is not impressed with oratory and fancy language. And for every one of us here today, are we willing to take the courageous step of giving up the right to be the master of our own fate and to say to Jesus right now, God, Jesus, I need to hear from you. I am willing to hear from you even if you call me out of my comfort zone today. What step do I need to take in my life right now, God, even if it goes against my own sensibilities? It's easy to feel comfortable doing the good thing, but we need to be willing to hear God's voice calling us to do the God thing. And so we're gonna take this moment right now and I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come down. And I want us to take this moment seriously. Not, this is not form, this is not ritual. This is your moment to hear the voice of God, to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit calling into your life at telling you what he wants from you. This is your moment to be able to hear God's voice, to be able to obey, and to be able to follow him. Together we need to be the first to follow, the first to obey. This is our moment to hear the voice of God. Let's bow our heads right now and ask God to speak to us where it is that he would lead us today. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.